Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 23. Without further delay. Without further delay. Your guru. Your guru. Um, uh, sorry. Your guide to a better life through real estate investing. Through real estate investing. Matt Terrio. Matt Terrio. Hello and greetings from the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. Happy New Year from the podcast that's going to show you how to build wealth through creative real estate investing. So you will have the option to realistically retire in the next 10 years or less and enjoy the good life while you're still young enough to do so. My name is Matt Terrio, author, full-time real estate investor, and family man. If this is your first time listening to this show, you're going to want to do two things. First of all, welcome. Glad that you're here. But you're going to want to go back and listen to episode one for the ground rules of the show. And two, I want you to download the free real estate investing course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. And you can get that at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. It's a step-by-step course of where I unveil the mystery around doing deals with no money or credit. And that's yours for free at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, I've got a few announcements. First, I want to say thank you to Joe and Alex over at the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast for having me on this week as their guest. And if you haven't subscribed to their podcast, I highly recommend it. Uh, They've got a great show. They're great guys. They've got a wealth of information and they're very successful real estate investors. So go check them out over at Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And second, I want to say thanks to all of you that have recently left reviews on this podcast. I mean, thanks to 212 and Boo Bias. That's how he spelled it. There was a bunch of S's at the end. Big Ad and Joe McCall, thank you for your reviews in iTunes. Those reviews, they really help with the rankings. So if you like what you hear on this show, feel free to log into iTunes, search Epic Real Estate Investing, and let me know what you think. Okay, much appreciated on that. Third, I know many of you been have been uh, you've been waiting. I've been getting a lot of emails and inquiries as to when the Epic Pro Academy is going to launch. So I've got good news for you. January twelfth. January twelfth is the day. And in the meantime, I've posted a few new videos on the homepage of Epic Pro Academy that'll probably be of interest to you. The first one, the only realistic road to financial freedom that no one is telling you about. That video is up. The second video, you can steal one of my top three methods for finding motivated sellers. I walk you through that step by step on how to do that. And as soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I'm going to go work on a third video for you. How to eliminate the risk from your real estate investing. I mean, imagine that. How much investing would you do if there was no risk? I'm going to show you on that video exactly how I go into each deal with absolute certainty and no fear. 
I know I'm going to win every single time and I'm gonna show you how you can do the same thing also, okay? Now I won't be leaving those videos up forever so be sure to go check them out and you can view them at epicproacademy.com. Okay, so we're going to start off the new year resuming our series of interviewing real real estate investors doing real estate in today's market. But what makes this series so special to me and, and what I believe makes it unique from other interview type formats is the people I've chosen for this series, they've got nothing to sell. They have nothing to promote and they're not speakers, they're not teachers, they're not gurus, and you'll probably notice that many of them aren't really the most polished speakers either. I mean, they just don't teach, they don't publicly speak. All they do is real estate. And to maintain integrity with this show's theme, I want you to hear how it really is out there. I want you to get an unfiltered sense of what's really going on and what it takes to be successful in this business. I want you to know how this business really works. I mean, it's a shame that you're probably only going to get real answers from real real estate investors, real estate investors with no hidden agendas. I mean, it's so often that people get their real estate investing education and their information from people that used to do real estate or they do a little real estate here and there, but selling their real estate information is now their primary business. And there are so many that do that because they found it's much easier to sell the information on how to do real estate than it is to actually do the real estate itself. And I'll never lie to you about this. I'll never lie to you about that, that real estate, it's hard work. It can be stressful. It can be frustrating. And it'll, oftentimes it can keep you up at night. It keeps me up at night. And it's going to take probably more work and more money than you're going to be comfortable with investing. But at the same time, if you stick to it, if you stay committed and you maintain some flexibility, and, and what I mean by that is not everything happens how it's supposed to. In fact, frequently, stuff can come right out of left field and smack you right upside the head, doling out painful lesson after painful lesson. I mean, just hard blows of reality. And that's what I mean by recommending that you stay flexible. And then just keep your eye on the prize. Okay, keep your eye on the prize because it does get easier as you go. And the rewards at the end are like nothing else that today can really provide. I mean, giant chunks of cash and steady streams of cash flow make life a much better existence. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I love real estate. I mean, the, the pleasures and the rewards of successful real estate investing far outweigh the pains and the lessons. But just know that there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some lessons. You're never going to escape that. If you, if you happen to escape that, I mean, you're probably just not investing in real estate. And if you keep your investing in this perspective, at least this is my perspective. This is how I view it. I'm either making money or I'm learning. I'm either making money or I'm learning. Now, some of those learning experiences, they're much more expensive than others. But look at those painful experiences in that way. It's just education. I mean, and why would you ever do what so many people do? And I've never understood this. Why would you pay so much for your education through those experiences and then quit? I never understood that. I mean, would a doctor, after investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in their education, investing countless hours of blood, sweat, and tears, and practicing their performance and perfecting their technique, would they just quit after their first malpractice lawsuit, citing that the medical industry, it doesn't work? It's too risky doesn't work in my market. I'm just going to go find something else to do. Would you ever hear that? No, of course not. You would not. That doctor would simply take note of what got him or her into that malpractice predicament and they'd just be sure not to make the same mistake again. They wouldn't make the same mistake twice and then they'd keep going. 
Look at your investing. Look at your real estate investing lessons in the exact same way and just keep going. It's worth it in the end. And besides, I mean, what's the alternative? What else can you go do to experience all the different benefits real estate offers? I mean, you can create two types of income in real estate. You can create active income and you can create passive income. You get amazing tax breaks and shelters like nothing else out there offers. I mean, you can virtually eliminate your tax liability through real estate investing. You can create equity. You can benefit from appreciation. And you can control and manipulate the power of leverage inside of real estate like no other investment can provide. So stick it out. Don't quit with the first or second hiccup, okay? Got it? Don't quit after your first or second lesson. I mean, you likely paid good money for those lessons. Now you know, and your future is brighter because you now know. All right, so today on the phone, I've got a really good friend of mine, and we actually met during a real estate transaction. In fact, it was my very first real estate transaction, my first experience as a real estate investor. And although he and his buddy, his partner, they did most of the work, I did find the deal, and I was able to execute the exit strategy for them so that we all got paid. So I do consider this my first deal, and that's how I met today's guest. He's an accomplished fix and flipper, yet also understands the power and importance of buying and holding. He understands the power of cash flow. He's got nothing to sell, nothing to promote. He's just a regular old full-time real estate investor with over 20 years of experience, and he's doing me a favor by coming on the show today to share his knowledge and experience with you. So on the phone, I have my good friend and business associate, Mr. Steve Kassane. Steve, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thanks, Bian. Good, good, glad you're here. So just to, before we get into some of these questions, and uh, how did you get started investing in real estate, and, and what was the initial attraction? I got started investing in real estate. Um, oh, it's gone. Uh, 1990, and um, the initial basically, I purchased a home, um, fixed it up, lived in it for about six months, and then uh, I saw the market was starting to turn, so I actually ended up reselling it pretty quickly. I got out before the market started turning at that point in time, and then at that point in time, I was looking at where to put my money, and I ended up starting to invest uh, not in California at that time, but down in Texas. And so I basically just, um, you know, real estate was something I've always been interested in, and at that point in time, like I said, um, the returns, you know, made, made some good money on, on my initial purchase, and at that point in time, you know, went down to Texas, started buying, uh, you know, small duplexes and fourplexes type of things from the um, RTC and things and and then just kept going from there. Got it. Um, so. What's today's, uh, what's your primary acquisition strategy or, or where do you find most of your deals? Today I'm doing mostly, um, basically doing single families and duplex duplexes mm-hmm. and mostly in the lower end market. You know, I'm looking at a resale, you know, on the resale side of it, I'm looking, you know, between two and $300,000. I'm trying not to, I, right now in today's market, I'm, you know, when I, my resale numbers, I'm keeping it under 300000 mm-hmm. So I'm purchasing things, you know, in the, uh, the hundred to, to $250,000 mark. Got it. And, um, mainly, like I said, in the, in the entry level market, uh, cause I feel, uh, that's the, right now that's the, the safest and the best market. Um, you know, they, the entry level got hit really hard from the subprimes and they got hit, they got hit hard and quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at 
the low end market, they they got hit hard, and like I said, hard and quick. Versus some of the other markets, you know, if you look at the five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar markets, I mean, there's still a lot of, uh, I mean, there's still a lot of foreclosures filtering through all the markets. But um, I see more downside in the in the in the higher end market than I do in the lower end. So I'm focusing on doing you know, buying, purchasing single families and duplexes and fixing them up and reselling them. Got it. So you're doing more of a fix, fix and flip is your main strategy right now? Right now I'm doing fix and flip. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to look at the, you know, buy and hold this year. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so far in like 2011 was doing mainly uh, fix and flip. And now starting to continue with the fix and flip and also starting to look at some buying holds going forward because I think uh, we're, we're close to, uh, we're close to bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that so. seems to be the consensus right now. So for your fix and flips, where are you finding your your deals to fix and flip? Majority of the fix and flips are in this year were um, I'm going through you know, buying buying REOs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, buying REOs is the majority of, of where our deals come from. Uh, we haven't been going down to the courthouse. We stopped going to the courthouse after everything going on with the MERS um, started happening, and you know. All of a sudden, you were purchasing properties, and next thing you know, you were being sued for different things along with the banks and everyone else. You were one of the many people on that list. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, over the last 18 months, we've pretty much been focusing on the majority of our deals have been coming you know, through REOs, um, you know, working with, uh, with uh, brokers who are dealing with REOs and trying to get, you know, get, it, get the deals through them. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's you know, it's it's very good. As you know, it's very competitive. I mean, there's a lot of people out there doing that same thing. But you know, if you can build a relationship and you get a foot in the door, uh, you, you know, you, that's uh, we find that you know we we find good deals there, and then we find enough of them to keep us busy. So right, right. For those that might not know, can you explain to the audience what MERS is? Yeah, MERS was the. Um, I forget the exact initials. It's like the mortgage something. It's basically with. It was a servicing company. It was a servicing. All the, it was somebody who basically started servicing all the mortgages for the different banks. You know, so so if Countrywide or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, you know, had a loan that um, back in two thousand, you know, four two thousand five, they would transfer it over to MERS, and MERS was basically handling everything with that with that mortgage. They were handling the payments, handling the you know. Um, processing the payments, processing any you know transfer. Of, you know if that note got sold, as many of those many of those mortgages and the mortgage-backed securities, they, you know they were packaged and they were resold. And MERS was was tracking all of that for mm-hmm. for, for the banks and, and everybody. And um, so th- so they were handling all that. And then you know obviously when the when the market collapsed and a lot of those loans went bad, and they they may have been part of a uh, mortgage-backed security. It was it was kind of like it was hard to determine, you know, which which mortgage went bad. What's the effect on that on that on that on that um, on that bond or, or you know on that security you know, where where the mortgages were securitized? And anyways, bottom line, there was a lot of gray areas that people weren't sure if everything was followed as far as transferring you know that that individual mortgage from the bank to the to MERS, and then eventually it was being foreclosed on, and you know was everything processed correctly, and and it was, and it was hard to track all that, and so therefore that whole issue came up about eighteen you know, eighteen months two years ago, where people were saying, well, I was incorrectly foreclosed on, and all of a sudden now you know if you were buying a, a, a property down at the courthouse, you were buying it 
you, you basically were buying that note, and then you had to go and, and evict that the, the um, homeowner. And that's where attorneys are starting to get involved and saying, well, we're suing, you know, whoever bought the note, we're suing whoever, um, you know, the bank and, and everyone else involved. And, you know, next thing you know, you see 10 parties, you know, on the on the lawsuit, and they were tying up property. You know, so all of a sudden you couldn't go and, and start doing work on that house. You had to deal with the, deal with the, uh, the lawsuit first. So we, we started, uh, we basically at that point in time, we, we started staying away. And, mm-hmm. and since then, we, you know, we've found enough deals through the REOs that we haven't gotten back at this time. So. Got it. Got it. You said you had developed uh, you developed relationships with brokers that have those REO relationships. Have you been proactive about developing those relationships? How do you go about meeting those types of brokers? Yeah, basically meet them through through our dealings. Basically, uh, a lot of them. You know, some of them I've been working with for even be, you know, before the uh, <clears throat> uh, before this whole downturn because I've been dealing in Los Angeles uh, market now for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. So some of them, you know, had a relationship before, and then so we continued that. But but even right now, you know, we'll talk. You know, we see a, you know, we see somebody who's doing a lot of um, whose name, you know, whose, whose name pops up on a lot of listings. You know, we'll try to, you know, make an introduction, and uh, you know, give them a call. Try to, um, you know, we'll make an offer, and then you know, if we make an offer, obviously, you know, just like everyone else, a lot of times it doesn't go through because they've got you know thirty other offers. But we'll try to get our foot in the door and try to, you know get to know them, you know, give them a call, try to work with them and build a relationship that way, you know, and right. um, take them to lunch. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's good old-fashioned schmoozing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't, you know, it's, it, you can't, you know, you can't sit there and say, hey, I, I do a lot of investments and, you know, pick me, you know, kind of thing. It's like, you know, usually you end up getting rejected a couple of times, but you get to you start talking to that person and next, you know, I, you know, you slowly get that get them to know that, okay, yeah, I'm making offers and, and then if they have deals, you know, some, you know, they know that you're going to come through. And, and the main thing is once you do start working with them and, you know, you have to, you have to give them an answer quickly. And then once you do say you're going to do it, you have to follow through. Otherwise, uh, you know, you could easily, you know, they, they have to know that they can rely on you. If, you know, if you're going to, you say, yeah, I'll buy it at that price and I'll close on it in 10 or 15 days, then you have to perform. Got it. So, um, let's see. What is your what is your typical day looking like right now? I mean, I know you're you're a full time real estate investor. You're doing fix and flips, and you're starting to uh, look at uh, you know buying holds for this year. And I want to ask you about that in a second. But what does your typical day look like? Typical day is um, in the in the mornings. You know, we're up looking at um, looking at you know we do we, we we look at all the new listings. You know, so we're, you know, in the first part of the day, we're looking at, you know, we're all looking at the MLS. We have uh, somebody who's looking at the MLS hard and seeing any new listings and things, and we are following up on that. And then, you know, any deals that we get, you know, we're, we're talking to, the, to those brokers, not every day, but obviously if we get a call. But and then in the mornings after that, about uh, 10 o'clock, though, then we're, uh, we're um, downtown looking at either, A, looking at potential deals or, you know, looking at different projects that we have going on, follow up on that. And then uh, back in the office, usually by around two o'clock in the afternoon, looking. And then again, majority we try to spend the majority of our day looking for new deals. So um, that that's the hardest thing to do right now is to find find the deals to keep you going. I mean, once we get the deal in the in the you know once we get a deal and we got it wrapped up, then you know we've got the crews out there and they can um, you know we we come up the plan, what we're going to do as far as rehabbing it and everything. And once that's going, then you know it's. 
it's easier to monitor monitor that. But the majority of our time right now in this market, because it's pretty tough to find deals, is uh, is looking for deals. Mm-hmm. So you know we're doing you know, we, again we work we do the you know we're looking for the REOs, but we're also you know um, <clears throat> we do deal directly with a couple with uh, we have a couple of programs where we do mailers, so we we do do mailers out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we we get a couple of deals out of that, but uh, it's not like it used to be. A lot of a lot of times when you you know you do get a response and you, you are talking to somebody who wants to sell, they're they're usually underwater and we, we tend not to want to you know deal with um, going through the whole uh, short short uh, short sale cycle and right. things like that. But so we tend not to you know not to follow up on those. So we do do mailers because we and we have had you know we have found some good you know it's, it's paid for itself because we have got a couple of deals that way last year. So got it. So tell me about tell me about your mailers. Is this a service that you use? Or do you do a, a a handwritten letter? Is it a typed letter? Do you do it yourself? It's a typed letter. We we have a we have a number of standard letters that we have on the system, and uh, yeah, no, we we don't do it. We don't use a service. We're not uh, we're not sending hundreds of thousands all the time, but you know, we're, we're sending a few hundred every month, um, and it's a uh, you know, we 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 get different reports from Title. On, on uh, who to send it to, and you know we 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 search certain criteria that we like, and um and you know that we that we get a good response from, and we yeah and then we just have a few letters um geared specifically you know, depending on what we're mailing on you know we have the letters here and we you know we do that in house right now. We have looked at possibly having uh, you know there's, there's some cheap services out there right now that you can do you have to have a lot of that done. We are looking at that, but we haven't uh, we haven't actually pulled the trigger on that. Got it. Got it. So when when you send out your mailers and the and the phone starts to ring, do you have that go to a, a voice answering service, or do you answer those phone calls live? No, we have an answering service for that. You do, and then you just collect those uh those numbers, and then you return the phone calls later on. Correct. Yeah, because we we want uh we want someone to answer the phone all the time, and when we find out you know if you don't have someone actually answering the phone, they're just most of the time that person's going to hang up. So right. we don't you know so we. It's worth it to have an answering service to go pick those up, get the information that you know they have a, a dialogue that they follow, ask mm-hmm. certain questions, and then we follow up with them. Oh, good. So you have a live person, a live answering service. Yes, that's cool. Very cool. I think that's a that's a that's a good approach. Um, what are some of yeah, your? We, go ahead. No, it's because because yeah, we used to you know prior to that we we would uh, if you didn't have a live answering service and you had them call in the office and someone was in there. Um, we typically, you know, you can come back to the office. You see, okay, you know, you can look to see how many calls you got and see all these hangups. And they're like, okay, they're not 800 numbers, so they're they're local numbers. People are calling and hanging up, so chances are it's from our letter. And um, sometimes you only get that one shot to really get them. So it's worth it to have somebody, a live person, answering the phone. Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, if you don't get that person when they're calling on their time. You know, it's hard to get them back in the, in the mood and the mindset to get them to discuss their, their situation. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So how is your, you, right now you're investing mostly in California, right? Yeah. We do have property out of state, but we're not, not active. We're just investing right now 100% in California. Got it. Yes. Okay. So with the system that you kind of explained to me with your marketing and what your typical day looks like, how many uh, fix and flips are you, are you doing right now a year? We did sixteen last year. Sixteen, that's good. And you are holding you are holding property right now. You do have some buy and holds. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yeah, no, have um, 
have a, have a number of rentals. Um, some of them more recent purchases. Some of them I have had for a long time. But yeah, have a uh, <clears throat> have a number of uh, duplexes that uh, that we have right now, and uh, have some large, yeah. uh, one or two larger buildings, sixteen uh, sixteen units, twelve units. We have started looking at those. You know, the smaller apartment buildings. Like I say, smaller. I mean, you know, under under twenty units. So uh, some, there are some good deals out there right now on those, um, especially in the C type areas, which is, you know, kind of downtown, South Central area. Um, as, you know, the, the big investors haven't really gone in there for those types of units. So we, we do see some, we, we do follow those. And if we do see a good deal there, we will do something on those. But majority, we're focusing when we're looking at fix and flips, this, that when buy and holds, we're looking at, you know, starting to do more buy and holds this year. We're, we're looking at the smaller, you know, when I say smaller units, we're looking at actually four plexes and, and under. Because we see good opportunity there. Got it. So with the, with those fourplexes and those duplexes as you're starting to look for your buy and holds, is there a certain? How do you select those? Like first, how do you select the area? And and as far as the, when you find the right area, the property that you actually choose that you're going to make an offer and that you want to buy and hold. How do you analyze that? And and what's kind of the deciding factor whether this is thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, the first thing we look at is we look at gross rent multipliers. Just our our, our our key thing in the beginning. We say okay. You know, number one, is it rented or not? So that's the first question. Because um, on all the ones that we buy, we want we want two things before we still before we do anything. So we, we want cash flow and equity from day one. So we want to we want to buy cash. We don't want something that's okay in five years from now it'll start cash flowing. We want you know we're looking at something that's going to cash flow the day, you know right away. So if it's empty, we know in two months we're going to have that fixed up, rented, and we're going to be cash flowing that right away. The other thing we want to do is we want to you know, we want to buy equity, you know, just like we do on the flips. If we're buying a place for a hundred thousand, and we're going to resell for two hundred, well, we're looking at that same thing on the buy and holds because you know we want to buy a duplex or a fourplex that's you know undervalued. And once we do our repairs and get it rented, then you know we have we have built-in equity. So, so two things we're looking for: equity and cash flow from day one. And you know, like just on a general, we look at you know the first thing we look at. You know, right away is we say, okay, we're looking. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff downtown. We are looking on the west side for buying homes, also, because we, we we do see that you know it's a good deal on the west side, long term. That's going to do really well. But we our minimum GRM. We're looking for something that's a you know, GRM of seven uh, percent or or or, uh, or less. So we we don't pay more than seven percent for gross rent multiplier. Right now, that's what we're looking at. So if it's more than seven percent, we typically won't look at it. Got it. So you'd said that the you know you did mostly uh, fix and flips in 2011. You did 16 of those, and and you'd mentioned earlier that you think we're getting close to the bottom. What are you seeing in the market, or what are you reading, or what types of indicators are you looking at that has you believing that we are close to the bottom? Well, I, I believe we're close to the bottom in the um, in the lower end for sure. You know, uh, when I say you know again in those areas that you know with the resale value of under 300,000. I believe you know we're we're close to the bottom, but you know, closer or near the bottom. Um, those areas got hit hard, and we're and just we see, you know, when we do a flip, we know that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pent up demand for those homes. If you price it right, you're going to get a lot of offers right away. Um, the only issue really is it's hard for people to get loans, but the the demand is there. But you know, there's obstacles for those people to buy. But you know. 
<clears throat> and those buyers under three hundred thousand dollars purchasing a home under three hundred thousand dollars, it's usually the, the it's cheaper for them to buy that house and pay rent and, and pay the mortgage than it is to rent that house. So the rent versus buy decision is, is favorable for for doing those types of deals. Uh, but we don't see that on the other, you know, on the upper end or I say not the upper end but the middle. You know, if you get the property you know, between five you know, and middle for LA is, you know, five hundred to a million a million dollars. We don't see the same. Um, we're not as positive in, in that area as we are in the lower end because the, the equation is a little different, and the fact is, different factors affecting those houses. Um, you know, the rent versus buy decision doesn't always make sense. In that, you know, if you're buying a seven hundred thousand dollar home, your mortgage may not be cheaper than going and renting a, a house of in, in um, similar to that. And the other thing is a lot of unknown issues impacting those houses you know a lot of we, there's a lot of a lot of negative things coming out of washington that have a bigger impact on those types on the seven hundred thousand or nine hundred thousand dollar home you know whether they're going to you know if the mortgage interest deduction goes away which we don't think it's going to go away but you know they've been talking now for over 12 months that you know the more they want to eliminate the mortgage interest deduction for anyone making over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. well if that goes away that's kind of a major impact on that seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar house because now all of a sudden, even if you're, you know, if you're making over two hundred fifty thousand dollars and you're not going to get the mortgage interest deduction, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go buy that house right now. So uh, we see, we still see a lot of negative things coming out of, you know, out of Washington that's having a negative impact, a negative impact on on those types of homes. But we don't see it. It has not having the same impact on the lower end homes because again. Whether you get the mortgage interest deduction or not for a three hundred thousand dollar home, it's still cheaper for you to to buy and pay the mortgage than to even without the interest deduction. And plus, you're under you're making under two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so it's not it's not an issue. Again, so we we see it being near the bottom. I mean, we still see the upper end, just like we've seen in the last couple of months. You know, the, there's been the, the price, the actual price in California has come down, but mainly majority of that is mainly due to the number of higher end homes selling. And again, I think a lot of that's a result. So therefore, the percentage of higher-end homes selling November was less than, say, in April, May, or June. And therefore, we've seen the average price and the median price in California coming down the last couple of months. But the majority of that is 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 due to the to the fact that there's not enough there's there's less upper-end homes selling, and and we think that's a lot of that due to you know negative things coming out of Washington and people sitting there saying, okay, you know what, well, I'm going to wait till everything kind of, till we figure everything out as far as, you know, like mortgage interest deduction, a lot of other things come out of Washington. People are on the sidelines until all that clears up. Got it. Um, very cool. So I know you've been doing this for a long time, Steve, and uh, you've been doing this since 1990, as you mentioned. Um, how much have, do you think you've invested in your actual real estate investing education, and do you continue to invest in your education? Yeah, no, I, I invest all the time. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a budget. Some people I know go into the year and they say, "Okay, I'm going to spend this much on on my education." Uh, I don't, um, I don't do that exactly. So, but I do take courses all the time. Um, you know, if I see something good. I do it basically. It's so it's more selective than you know saying okay I'm going to spend two thousand or three thousand dollars this year. I do it. It's more selective. If it's a good cost and I think it makes sense and something that you know I want to know about, I'll go take that. You know, um, I uh, subscribe to a couple of different newsletters to, to stay on top of uh, you know um, on top of what's going on because 
as much as uh, I try to stay on top of what's going on. You can't stay on top of everything. So, um, you know, everyone is like subscribe. You know, Bruce Norris's letter is, is very good. I think he's he does a uh, a great great job at really quantifying you know exactly what's going on. You know, not just saying here's what I think. He, he actually gets in and quantifies it with with you know facts and, and charts and everything. And I think that's really helpful. And then uh, just. Um, you're really staying on, you know, yeah, but you take probably uh, take a course probably every other month or so. End up taking a at least a one day, you know, one day course. You can like, get involved with uh, real estate clubs. So, you know, once a month, go to, go to uh, different meetings. Once or twice a month, go to different meetings. Talking to people at those clubs and seeing how, what they're doing and also seeing, you know, the different speakers that they have come there to talk about, you know, different aspects of the market and what they're doing to, you know. Yeah, things are changing so quickly that, you know, uh, you know, three years ago, no one was doing REOs. Now everyone's doing REOs and things. So, you know, REOs, <clears throat> um, other, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to buy houses. And as the market, you know, as things change, other ways of buying houses will, you know, may, may start making sense in five to six months. So, you know, you want to, you want to be on top of what's going on. So, you know, you know, when to, when to make that switch and when to start doing different things because, um, well, REOs are hot right now. I mean, they will be for a long time, given the number that are going to be coming on. But there's also going to be uh, other areas where you, you know, you can, um, you can, you can find good deals out there that will start making sense soon. Yeah, no, so I thought um, to answer your question, I think it's it's really important to uh, invest in um, your education, and uh, and we yeah, I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, of education, what is something you now know that you wish you would have known when you got started? creative financing um you know there's a, there's a lot of ways to buy and hold property and a lot of ways to pay for, <clears throat> to, to you know if you can find a deal um there's no reason you can't get that deal done if you know whether you have the money or whether you need to bring somebody in on that deal and uh talking to somebody who you know it, the hardest thing you know you 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 make money when you buy the property. You, know, you don't make money when you sell. You don't make money. You make money when you buy it. So if you can, if you're out there and whether you're a big time investor or a small investor, you can find a good deal and you have the knowledge to then go and either, you know, put together, put the deal together yourself, or at least realize, hey, you know what, I have a good deal. I have it locked up, but I don't now. I, I don't know what to do. If you have the contacts or, or you know, you've, you've got the education to to then talk to somebody and say, here's what I've got. You can, you can make that work. So I think knowing about creative financing um, and knowing, having a good, um, a good network of people that you can turn to so that, you know, when you do, when you, you know, do do all that work to find a good deal that you don't lose it. Um, So looking back in hindsight, yeah, just getting out there, networking with people, having a good, uh, a good core group of people that you can, you, you can work with, whether it's, you know, a lender, an investor who you can turn to and say, hey, here's the deal. So really, <clears throat> excuse me, really getting out there, A, and networking, and then creating a, a, good, a, good group, a good group of people that you can work with and talk to when you do find a deal, and, um, and just knowing more about the, the financing. Because, you know, once you know about the financing and having different ways to finance and fund a deal, um, it's one of the key things in this market. I mean, once you find a deal, you can get somebody to fix it up. Uh, you can get someone to sell it for you. but um, Finding the deal and and putting the deal together is uh, is key. So you, I think, uh, knowing all the different options that you have is and uh, getting educated on that is is important. 
Got it. Do you have uh, maybe a story about one of the more creative ways that you've acquired a property? Yeah. Uh, well, back in um, back in the early 2000s, it was uh, purchased a. Uh, I think that was uh, it was a 16 unit property. It was on the market. The guy actually ended up buying about three places from this one individual. He someone just he had a lot of apartments, apartment buildings, and different things, and uh, he needed. He was he ran into some trouble and was trying to unload a, a number of them, and uh, <clears throat> he had a. Uh, he had to sell them really quick. So basically, ended up getting, talking to a hard, again, it's kind of what I was describing before. I had a good deal. The money, you know, I knew I could make the deal work. Now it was just a matter of, you know, getting this guy the money that he needed to, to sell it because, you know, he needed, he needed cash. He couldn't just do it, you know, we couldn't do any kind of, uh, he couldn't carry anything or do anything like that. So basically, um, ended up getting a uh, hard money loan in first position. I got him to, we got him to take a second position, and then I ended up going out and actually kind of getting a third, a silent third, and using that silent third to put up money. It was more like uh, somebody I knew because you know, and and then buying that person, buying that second out right after we closed. It was kind of, I'm trying to remember the exact reasons we had to do. It was kind of funky, um, but you know, that was that was one way. Yeah, we had to get a hard money loan up front, so we're paying 11 percent on on this. On the, on the money, um, paying off the second, we had to pay it off within four months because that's the, the seller had to have money within a certain time frame. So we were able to convince him to take that, you know, give to do that second, and then we'd get him paid off within four months, and then we have to go out and get that money to to pay him off. So yeah, well, that was one. It wasn't very. That's not super creative or anything, but it's, right. I mean, just just knowing the uh, what your options are, I guess you know that. Putting, pulling three different people or three different financing sources into a deal is, you know, a lot of people are out there looking that they think they have to have the money to go out and invest. And, you know, and yeah, you do need the money to invest, but it doesn't always have to be your money. And there's multiple sources to get that from. And uh, that's kind of what you did there. Yeah. And then that was, yeah, that turned out to be a no money down deal. Um, people said, oh, you're crazy. You borrow money at 11%. I said, I'll borrow money at 20% if it's going to cash flow. I, you know, um, <laughs> So, I mean, I literally had people saying, wow, you're nuts paying 11%. I'm like, why? I mean, <laughs> I, it's a property I don't own today. In a month and I'm going to own it. I'm going to pay somebody 11%. They're going to be happy. I'm going to collect my rent, so I'm going to put money in my pocket every month. We're all going to be happy. So um, right. it's, that's one thing you do, too, is you know, not to get, you know, it doesn't matter how, what interest rate you're paying. Um, if you have to pay a high interest rate uh, to get a good deal that's going to, you know, give pay you at the end of the month. At the end of every month, it's it's, it's worth it. So, exactly. You know, I've got a uh, you know half a dozen properties in Illinois, which I know I paid over market value for, but I was able to get in with seller financing and such a low money down. I'm getting thirty percent ROI. So as long as I'm cash flowing, I'm getting thirty percent. I mean, where else are you going to get that? And uh, I've got a lot of people that kind of said the same thing to me. I was nuts to pay that much for those properties, and I was like, well, it's. Thirty percent return on my investment, then uh, yeah. And as long as it's cash flowing and making money, I mean, you're investors. That's what you're supposed to do: is put your money to work and have it bring more back to you. Yeah, and if, if it's paying you every month, so it's no big deal to hold that. So you can hold that for seven years, and seven years from now, you'll probably be sitting. You know, you have a lot of equity in those. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Steve. The last question, or actually, second to last question: If you lost everything today and you had to start from scratch, how would you restart? I would restart doing single family flips. I would go out there, I'd find a deal, 
And then I, once I found that deal, you know, well, I'd start talking at the same time. Well, I did two things. I would start talking to people, you know, to um, potential money people. I'd say, okay, how many, you know, who are potential money people out there that I can go to? And then I would right away start looking for single family flips and go find a good deal. And then once I found that deal, I'd make sure I had a couple of different sources where I could go and say, here's a deal. Um, and here's how much we're looking at, you know, you know, if you come in on this, you know, whatever, whatever you can work out with that investor, but I would find an investor to then, you know, either give you the money to do it, where you're just going to pay him a flat percentage or bring a man on the deal. Either way, it's a win-win for you because, you know, if you give away part of the deal, you're still getting something versus nothing. If you can pay him straight interest, that's great. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would start doing first. And the reason why doing that is because you can make money quicker, you know. Um, Versus a buy and hold, where you know you're not going to be able to, you, you know, if you start to, if you lost everything, then you know your, your first thing you have to do is get, you know, you have to get liquid again. So, doing a fix and flip is is the fastest way to get liquid, you know, get money back in your pocket. So to to rebuild, but yeah, you know, that's what I would do. I would I would start doing fix and flips right away. If I lost everything. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, you need the cash to create the cash flow, and you now you got to flip properties to create that cash. I yeah. agree. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, you, you, I know. Yeah. So I know you've done. You know, you've done a ton of fix and flips and rehabs and and what would what are your? This was one of the burning questions that came in from one of my listeners. So, so I've been asking everyone that does fix and flips these, this one question. What are your three most important rehab tips you could you could share with someone just getting into fixing and flipping? Know the market. Um, when I say know the market, know you need to know you need to know what you're going to sell that for. There's no way you can tell if it's a good deal or not if you don't really know the market. You know, have to be very current on what's selling, and know your competition. You know, what what else is out there for sale? What you know, what can I realistically sell this for? Do your research when you buy it. Don't you don't want to find out surprises late? You know, as you after you close on that deal. So when I say do your research, I mean like you know, find out if there's any violations. Find out if there's city issues that you have to deal with. Because they can, you know, you can sit there and you, you think you're buying a great deal at hundred thousand dollars, and then you, you know, after you close, you didn't do your research, and you find out that you know it has violations on it, and you know has illegal, you know, a couple square feet of you, you know. Anyways, you don't want to find those out after the fact because that you, you probably, if, if that's the case, then and, you know, chances are you may have just lost money on that deal. So maybe you, you don't want to lose money on a deal, and it's okay, you know, if you don't make as much as you thought, but. Do your homework up front. So do your research, um, and always have have uh, have multiple exit strategies. You know, uh, markets change, things happen. You know, um, so you know right now in this kind of market, you know, on these fix and flips, I know okay, I can sell this property, but you know, let's say let's say Europe blows up tomorrow, which is is, <laughs> is something that can easily happen. <laughs> Uh, right. and, and next, you know, yeah, you know, all the banks in the U.S. are losing, losing billions of dollars again. We're back to 2008, which is, you know, only three years ago. We're back to 2008 where, you, you know, you couldn't sell anything. You could have tons of buyers, but no one can get financing. So uh, yeah, it could happen. So you, you need to be able to you need multiple exit strategies. So if you can't sell that property, you know, will it, will it cash flow for you? Right. No, I, I agree with that. You should always have at least two because – Quite often, that that first one, your plan A, doesn't work out. That happens all the time. So yeah. you need the plan B. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people who aren't in this business anymore after 2006 and 2000, after 2007 and 2008. 
So right, um, exactly. Those were the gamblers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's just end up. Well, what what's in your investing future right now, Steve? That you're really excited about? Well, for this year, we're looking at, like I said, doing um, continuing doing the the, the the fix and flips. But we're also, I'm excited to start really get into more of the buying holds. Also, as the year as the year progresses. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, the, the cash flow is the focus. I know you've got you've got a family, you've got a bunch of kids. You made you made waffles for them this morning, and uh, you know, yeah. cash flow makes all that happen. Gotta keep those waffles flowing, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, well, thanks, Steve. This has been awesome. You're a wealth of information, and uh, you know, it, we'd love to have you back if you'd be open to that. Yeah. No, I'd be open to it, and uh, thanks for the opportunity, and just. Uh, you know, everyone. I think everyone realizes how good real estate is, but it's. Uh, if you look, yeah. I mean, look at the last couple of years. Uh, like, well, just last year, you know, real estate, you know, stock market was flat or down. Bonds are flat. You know, it's. Uh, you can't be real estate, and it's. Uh, and and it's real. You can see it and hold it. So it's good. Exactly. That's that's my favorite part of it, actually. Yeah. You know, awesome. You know, you have something. So. Cool. Well, thanks for taking time out of your weekend, Steve, to join us. And uh, you have a good weekend, and we'll talk soon. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. So that's my buddy, Steve. And if you were listening, and if you've been listening to our last few interviews, all of our real real estate investors doing real estate in today's market, you're probably starting to notice something about this business that you'll rarely find in a course, if you ever find it in a course. Or you're not going to find it in a seminar. You're not going to find it in a weekend real estate investing boot camp either. And what I'm speaking of is the real currency of this business is relationships. This is a people business. And it's those people and your relationships with those people that will cause your business to flourish. It'll cause your business to thrive. It'll cause it, cause your business to go on and on and on and around and around and around. It keeps it going. You see, every piece of real estate you buy or sell is going to be from another person. There are no silver bullets. You've got to get out there and you've got to share yourself among other people, among other investors, among other real estate professionals, among real estate clubs, and among real estate networks. Your network is going to be the backbone of your business. And you develop that network with your people skills. In my opinion, it's the most powerful, most important skill that you can have as a real estate investor. It's your people skills. Because it doesn't matter how you find your deal, you're going to eventually have to talk to a person. And, you know, if, if you haven't read it, go out and get Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, your real estate investing business is going to benefit more from that book than any real estate investing book that I know of. And what I mean by that is you can be an absolute beginner in this business. You can totally mess up transactions. You can mess up at every single corner. But if everyone you deal with knows you, likes you, and trusts you, you're always going to get the deal over the next guy. You're always going to have a hand up. You're always going to have someone to help you. You're always going to have someone that looks up, looks in your favor and, and gives you breaks and gives you deals and gives you, it's just, if they know you, like you, and trust you, you're so far ahead than any other skill can put you. And that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is going to give you that skill. It's going to give you those people skills. I mean, do you remember what Steve said today when I asked him how he'd start over if he lost everything? 
I mean, yes, he said he'd start fixing and flipping properties to get liquid, right? He's got to create the cash, so you, you have to get liquid again. That's how he would do it. But how did he say he'd do it? He said he'd go out and he'd start talking to people. That's what he said. He didn't say he'd launch a website. He didn't say he would send out direct mail. He didn't say he'd go put up some more bandit signs. I mean, sure, all of those things work. They all have their place. They can complement your business in very powerful ways. I use all of that stuff. But that's not how he said he'd start. He said he'd start by talking to people. And a lot of people, they don't really want to hear that. But with every single one of my interviews, that, that's been a very common denominator. And they've been on the show. They've got nothing to sell, nothing to promote. They really don't care if you believe them or not. What your opinion is of them, what your belief about how they do their business, it's not going to affect their reality one way or the other. They're just sharing with you how it is. This is how we created our business. This is how we continue to build our business. And this is what's working today. And it's through people. Also, you'll notice that my recent guests, they've placed a big emphasis on finding deals. That's where most of their time is spent in finding deals. And you're probably starting to notice that they all look for the deal before they look for the money to the deal. I mean, that's a huge mistake by new investors. They try to find the money first. Don't do that. Find the deal and the money will find you. I mean, I spent an entire episode or maybe I spent two episodes on this. And if you missed it, you're going to want to go back and check that out. I'm not sure which episode that was. I mean, we've only got 23 episodes, not that many. I just don't have iTunes up right now. But just know, find the deal first and the money finds you. And they've all said that. They have no idea what questions I'm going to ask them. And they have all answered in almost precisely the same way. Hopefully you're starting to notice that. Another common denominator amongst these interviews, they all continue to invest in their education. I mean, you have to in this business. The dynamics, they're always changing. The market's always changing. The strategy is always changing. The laws are changing. The policy is changing. I mean, does a doctor or a lawyer stop with their education after college? No, it's ongoing. You've got to stay up to date. You never are going to know it all. Always be a student. I mean, even our guest today, Steve Kassane, has been investing since 1990, and he still invests in his education. Hopefully, the, the patterns amongst these interviews are starting to appear for you. And take heed. I mean, this is how it's done in the real world. This is how it's being done today in today's market. Now, our next episode, I've got another really great interview lined up for you with a woman who's so successful with her fix and flips. I mean, she's caught the attention of national TV and she actually ended up on Flip That House. So that's next. You won't want to miss that episode. And to start the new year off right, go get your free real estate investing course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. I mean, money, it certainly helps, but it's not required. And you can get that for free at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. And lastly, go check out the new videos that I posted for you at epicproacademy.com. January 12th is our launch date, but I put some videos up there right now just to, to hold you guys over. All right. I'm here for you. This show is for you and it's for your success. So let's make 2012 a successful year. Agreed? Awesome. So until next time, as a very wise person once said, a New Year's resolution backed by commitment is not just another resolution. It's reality waiting to happen. So commit to your education, commit to your business, and commit to this year being your best year ever. To your success, I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Thank you for spending this time with Matt Terrio and the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. Real Estate Investing Podcast. When you have a moment... 
Stop by iTunes to leave your comments and let us know what you think of the show. And if you haven't done so already, get started investing today by visiting freerealestateinvestingcourse.com to access Matt's free course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. Until next time. To your success. To your success. To your success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.